Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jeff Quentin with Keller Williams Realty in Ocean City, New Jersey. Last year, he closed 165 transactions with a total sales volume of $60 million and a gross commission income of $1.6 million. His average sales price was $363,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. He has a nine-member team, two buyer agents, one listing partner, two inside sales agents, one executive assistant, one listing manager, one closing coordinator, and one team leader. Jeff Quentin is the team leader of the Quentin Group. He's been an agent for 24 years and works the South Jersey Shore. In his best year, Jeff sold 219 homes worth $139 million and earned $3.9 million in gross commission income. In this call, Jeff talks about going into real estate right out of high school, pursuing expireds and taking 14 listings his third month in the business, a description of his expired listing campaign, perfecting his phone prospecting through training, practice, and dedication, the tool he uses to contact 10 homeowners per hour over the phone, how to get over call reluctance and start dialing for dollars, his morning ritual that guarantees success and a constant flow of listings, achieving success by being consistent, competitive, and coachable, obtaining high profit margins of 50 to 60% by being a prospecting-based agent, selling properties in a second home resort market and achieving a 10% market share, how to find phone numbers and email addresses for homeowners in any market and the companies he uses to do it, why his new listing partner is taking 10 listings per month, how his lead buyer agent earned 500000 in one year, receiving 52% of his business by repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence and the script he uses to train his past clients to send him referrals, the tool he uses to record one message and deliver mass voicemails, the team leader dilemma between being the player versus being the coach, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jeff. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it for having me here. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. You know, my story is this. Basically, I've been in the real estate business since 92. And uh, so it's been, I guess it's about 24 years now. And previously to that, I was virtually in high school. And so right out of high school, I decided to go... uh, basically uh, into the real estate business. Before that, I was working at a bank. So during high school, I worked in a loan department upstairs and um, an opportunity came up to drive through as a teller because I didn't want to be in the closed environment. I wanted to be able to talk to people and so forth. 
I had the job as a teller, I got to meet a lot of realtors. And what inspired me to get in the real estate business was I got to not only meet a lot of realtors, but I was cashing their checks as well, their commission checks. I realized very quickly their checks were much larger than mine. So it was real estate school and it, you know, I got in that business about a year and a half later outside of high school. And so this is the, pretty much the real job I've always had. You were really young when you got in. Did you experience any challenges by being so young? Yeah, certainly. I mean, back in the early 90s, you know, there wasn't a lot of agents that were, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old in the business. A lot of it was the veteran agents. And uh, in fact, the very first brokerage that I went and interviewed with, um, they actually turned me down. And uh, it was the brokerage independent that had about 45% market share on the island. It was the place to go. And there was two owners there. One owner said yes. Other one said no, because he was like, he's just too young. Didn't have any experience and just basically they weren't hiring young people then, right? Just wasn't one of those things. So I went to a different brokerage, was there about maybe two weeks. Then I got a call from the original one. They said, okay, we're going to give you a shot. I ended up going back to the first one. So the challenge that I had one is that obviously I didn't have a lot of experience. I was young looking. I quickly had to develop the skill of prospecting and lead generation over the phone uh, in my marketplace. Um, because when I would go on appointments, I was in trouble getting, I can get the appointment, but once I showed up and, uh, you know, people didn't, um, think I had the experience. Well, let's talk about that first year when you first got in the business, you're young, you're ambitious, you want to get things going. Did you have a fast start or a slow start that very first year? I had a pretty fast start right off the get go. I was fortunate enough to go in an office and had a, a good manager there that, uh, Gave me some guidance. You know, back then it was different. We had a big fat MLS book. The expired listings would come out at the end of the month. And then you'd have to run to the MLS, the board, get this book. The manager would go do that, come back. We'd have to do the research, get all the numbers. And then I would just hit the phones. And so I was one of the only agents, I think, you know, not the only agent, but one of the agents that was very aggressive with it. So I basically had nothing else to do other than get on the phone and prospect. And I started out with expired. And then literally, it probably it was my third month in, roughly. I think I took 14 listings or so in that first month. Do you recall how many homes you sold that first year? 18. That actually was about from April through the end of the year. So it was a full year, about 18 for that calendar year. It sounds like the majority of that business was coming through this prospecting and typically expired listings. Yeah, it was mostly seller-driven at the time. But again, I was doing some buyers as well. But it was the listings and then buyers that came off of the listings and so forth. I mean, I went out and I was listing everything. I mean, I had developed the skills of pricing things properly. I was just going out and listing. That's all I knew. So that was the first step. That's how I got started. Now, how long have you been in the business so far? How long has it been? 24 years, since 92. How many homes did you sell last year? So last year, we were roughly around 165 is what we ended up closing. And um, we actually left the brokerage I was at for a long time moved over to KW as of the very first of the year, January 4th was the official date. So we kind of backed off a little bit at the end of the year because of that. And so at 165 last year. Do you recall the sales volume? I'm 60, 65 million in that range. I'm right in front of me, but that's been about what it was. Do you recall the GCI? Is that a million? I think it was uh, 1,685,000 of the actual number. That's pretty fantastic. And do you recall what year was your best year where you had your highest production? So I had two pretty amazing years. I mean, like a lot of people did in the early 2000s in the peak market. Our, our market really peaked out here in 2005. So my best two years were 2004 and then 2005 back-to-back years. And uh, each year I'd sold about 139 million, about 220 or so closed. 
I closed and pended about 260 or so with back-to-back years being almost even. This is the time when our average sales price was 775 and, you know, we were doing 200 deals. So, uh, you know, GCI was 3.9 million basically two years in a row. Did you have a big team going at that time? No, Mike. I mean, I've always had previously when I started a team and started building, I was always very small. So at the time, it was only six of us. I had three admin, me and two other agents. You know, that was it. I've always had a pretty small team up until this year. I really started to expand and grow. You know, it's always been basically six. I've always had three admin and then me. I was always in production myself. And then I had uh, always two other agents, you know, during those years. Now, you mentioned that at the beginning of this year, 2016, you just made a transition from one company to another. What can you tell somebody who's in that process or thinking about doing it so they can ramp up quickly? Well, first of all, if you're going to move from company to company, I think you've got to have a transition plan put in place. You've got to have step-by-step, you know, what you're going to do. What we decided was, as of January 4th, because of the situation of leaving another company, I wasn't able to get all of the listings I had. I had 80-some listings at the time to come over. And so that was some issues that were going on there. And there was, you know, negotiation with that. But regardless of me to be able to get all the listings over, my team and I decided, pretend we didn't get any. In the very first two months, our goal is to make 60 listings in 60 days. So we just made a conscious effort to go out there and do it. And we actually did. We did 28 the first month and 32 or something like the second month, whatever it was, end up being about right on. So we had set a transition plan and then we just went out there and absolutely, you know, put our head down and blasted through it and get up and running. How did you take 60 listings in 60 days? The whole entire team, you know, as far as my other two agents involved on the team, we just put our heads down. We said, okay, we're going to call every expired. We're going to call all our past clients. We're going to call our centers of influence, call everybody we've done business with. We're going to do just listen, just sold calls. We're going to do it. a bunch of voice broadcasting, blasting the marketplace that we've moved over to a new company. So we just really ramped up our contact and the effort itself and the hour a bunch of hours in, we just created it all. Oh, that's amazing. And did it pay off? How's your year going so far? Year to date, how many homes have you sold? Where yet? We're about 164, 65 right now. We'll end up in around that 175 roughly range probably. Now what we do in the remaining months, which is fair. It's, it's been good. I mean, the first four or five months of the year we're off because of you know, the transition and moving over and not having as many listings as we typically have. So, you know, I'm a more of a listing driven team. So, you know, when we're used to selling 10, 15 listings a month, you got to have the inventory to do that. We didn't have as much inventory. So in the last basic seven months or so, we've really picked up again. We're in some good momentum going the next year. And Jeff, how many homes have you sold in your career? So just about 4,000 or so since uh, 1992. A lot. Do you know what the volume is on that? Exact numbers, over a billion or so. I mean, we did, we've had some great years. I mean, ultimately, since they... Probably since year 2000, I mean, I've sold over, there's years I did over 200 units every single year. Then we leveled out for a few years in the 165, 185 range. But consistently, we've been going strong, you know, in that 60, 75, 80 million range, you know, year after year after year, probably for at least 10 years in a row, plus those big years that came in. In the 90s itself is a little bit less, obviously, because that's the first eight years in the business. So, Jeff, you're a billion-dollar agent. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? That's awesome. So Jeff, quick question. You've been in the business quite a long time, a little over 20 years. You've seen a lot of ups and downs. How have you survived and thrived in all those changes in the market? It's been interesting. I mean, when I got in the 1992 range, 
you know, the market was very similar then as it is in my marketplace almost now, okay, believe it or not. And our market, what we're experiencing here in Southern New Jersey is much different than what the rest of the country has experienced in the last couple of years. Ultimately, in the early 90s, say 92 to 98, 99, it was pretty well a down market, certainly a grind market. Started getting a little better, 90, 99, 2000. From 2000, 2005, our market was just absolutely insane. We were having 20 to 22%, 25% appreciation, you know, year over year. So, I mean, it was going crazy. And then about January of 2006, our market really um, took a hit and started to decline that year itself. We had about 2 to 2.5% decline per month, about 25% decline to 30% just in that one year. And then, unfortunately, since then, since really since the end of that, 2007, all the way to now 2016, last 10 years, ultimately, or nine years, whatever it is, we've been kind of bumping along. I mean, it's kind of like just gone flat. We've not seen appreciation and most of the, there's been pockets of the market that have come up, but ultimately it's kind of just bumped along the bottom where it was. And I was telling a story about, I uh, was involved in a development deal and uh, that was purchased in May of 05, closed in December of 05 with new buildings to be built and ready by spring and summer of, of 2006. And what we ended up selling those units for, what we predicted them to sell for were like 775. Well, a year and a half later in 07, they ended up selling around 565. And if you look back, that was like June of 07. Well, fast forward today, that same unit today would be exactly the same number or a little less in our marketplace. So we have it. If you compare new to new, you know, new construction, we've seen a lot of ups, we've seen a lot of downs. And, uh, but right now it's kind of more of the same, but kind of bumping along the bottom as far as value. We haven't, we haven't seen it come back a lot. And how have you survived all those changes? Is there a trait that you have that's allowed you to, to move with these markets? I mean, when they're falling 2% a month, that's got to be a pretty scary time. How did you hang in there? In the years of 2000, 2005, no one really had to really study the marketplace as far as market statistics, knowing what's selling each month, the number of inventory, the percentages, the absorption rate. And so until we started really looking at that, um, we can really see the trends and see what's going on. So I got real super clear and focused once you know, 2006 started that big decline, understanding the numbers of the market. So now what we do is every single month, we study all the markets we're in, all the cities and so forth around us that we're in, looking at all of the numbers everywhere. So that was the first thing. So now we can see how many months of inventory is in each area that we work and can ultimately predict, hey, is this market going to upswing? It's still in a downswing. You know, where are we within it? So it's really market statistics has really helped us a lot. Through all of this, we've continued to be a dominant player in that lead generation prospecting through expired listings. We've worked our past clients, our centers of influence for repeat and referral business with them, people we've done business with before. Um, you know, so we've always just been in contact with our database and listing driven. So also through the whole time, we've developed those skills to learn how to go out and do all this. So it's been very skill-based, obviously having a good mindset as well. Well, Jeff, you're in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey. Could you tell everybody where that's at? Sure. So Ocean City, New Jersey is in southern New Jersey. It's uh, just about five miles or so north of Atlantic City. And um, it's primarily Ocean City itself and along the coast, what we call along the shore, are all these islands that are all connected by bridges. And it's primarily a secondary home market, resort market, most of the areas. Then once you go over the bridge towards west, that's mainland, you know, primary home uh, where most people live as far as year-round. I live and work in the community of Ocean City where there's only about 12,000 people year-round. 
but in the summer months, it'll escalate up to 75 to 100,000 at any time during July and August. So we work at resort, second home market, investor market, and all along the islands. And then off, we also go offshore over on the mainland, or the primary home markets as well, which is a little bit more, it's a totally different market. Unfortunately, when you go over there, price point drops down sometimes 50% or even more than that. So it's a very unique area. And is the majority of your business, your transactions in this resort secondary market? Yeah, I mean, the primarily of them over the years always been. But in the marketplace, for example, in Ocean City, there's only about 1,300 sides a year that will happen. So for me to say, okay, I want to sell, you know, 175 units, I'd have to have a pretty good, strong market share. We've had up to 10, 12% market share uh, in area in this island itself. But for us to go and sell, 175, 200, 300 units, we've got to become very much more uh, extroverted. We've got to expand outside of the area and pick up in other areas because all these other sure small towns are very similar. I mean, we're expanding in the Margate now. For example, Margate may only have, uh, maybe only have 600 units that'll sell a year. And that's the whole entire marketplace. So you can see it, you know, you've got to go in all these little marketplaces to pick up a few deals here and a few deals there. And you've got to go and get big volume, you know, big units. And then offshore, We'll go to the primary home. That's a whole different ballgame. It could be a thousand units sold in one area. Jeff, could you describe a little bit more about your current real estate market? Secondary resort market as you travel from, say, you know, from north to south is all different. Each city is different, right? So I just think, for example, the Ocean City itself. Ocean City's average sales price, again, this is, we have homes that sell for four million bucks. We have houses that we have little condo tells itself for 50, right? Little unit, 50,000. Our average sales price is about 550 or so. Uh, here, once you go off the island, you go to Atlantic County, for example, right now, the average price in Atlantic County, which would be city, which would be Summers Point, Linwood, Northfield, Egg Harbor Township, those areas combined, it's about 175,000. So it drops a lot. Yeah, that's quite a bit of difference. What is three, almost four times more expensive on the island and off. Yep. Your office and you, you're located on the island. It's just that to expand your market share and get a little more volume, you've also gone off the island as well, onto the mainland. Correct. Yes. And we have offices up and down along the coast and then offshore as well that we market and uh, work within as well. Well, Jeff, I'm sure there are going to be people listening. And one of the questions they're going to have is, uh, how is it different working a resort second home market versus a primary home market? I assume it's harder to find those clients and customers. They're not sitting in their homes. They're using these properties temporarily. What are the differences that you see in this resort or secondary home market that you've had to modify and adjust your business to make it work? Like right now, you know, this time of year, in December, I'm driving on the street and there's, I mean, there's nobody here right now, you know, so you can go down the street at night and it's dark because there's no lights on anywhere in anybody's house. So, you know, when you work in a secondary home market, Obviously, you've got to do a lot of phone calls to get them, get these clients by phone because you're not going to go door knock because no one's here. So, you know, primarily we different sources on how we get our phone numbers and database and and then we um, we just prospect every day. We're calling them over the phone and then we're presenting over the phone as well. So a major portion of our listings that we get will all be through DocuSign and listing appointments virtually over the phone. So you have to be really good on the phone. You're talking to people long distance. Uh, you're working with them long distance. So the electronic era has really helped. When you were back there initially starting, you had those books that were coming out. 
I assume you did it by mail. Uh, it would have been a little harder back then. As far as getting listing contracts signed and all? Right. Trying to work with these clients that were out of your area. Yeah, but we just did it all by fax machine. It was, you know? Ah. Time to time, if they didn't have a fax or whatever, we used to drive to them for contracts to get signed and so forth. And many, many times we were on the road doing that. So we had to drive an hour, two hours, whatever, to the client's primary home to get them to sign. Now, you said that you do a lot of work by phone and that you have ways of tracking down people on their phones. It's a little more challenging today than it was in the older days because in the old days, everybody had a phone in their house and you could use a reverse directory. Today, a lot of people have cell phones and it may be a little harder to track them down. How do you track down these people and build these phone databases? So there's several different ways. There's several companies out there that can help. I mean, there's typical normal ones of the land voices and the red X's and cold directory and all that kind of stuff. I use another company called uh, Relevate, which is very good. They can get cell phone numbers. And there's cell phone directories now as well. So, you know, one thing that we do is when we upload our tax records, we've got to, whichever company we send to, we've got to go to them and say, hey, look, we don't ultimately want the subject property phone number. That's the one that would be here in the resort. We want the primary home where, they're, where everything, all their mail goes, right? So that's the phone number we need to get. So there's different sources we have and that are able to go out. We use also Spokio and Tellius that we have memberships to go in there and you can get phone numbers there. Ultimately, if you want to really find somebody, you know, whether it's expired and you're calling and get them or whatever, you just Google. We're Google names or Facebook searching that way, uh, LinkedIn. A lot of times, if you dig hard enough, you can find people. You can find them at work, you know, today. So you just got to be a little more aggressive that way online to find people. Thank you for all those sources. One of the interesting ones that just popped out, you mentioned you do just listed, just sold calls and you're going around the listing and you need to track down not where those people's property is, but where the owner is, these non-owner occupied properties. And you're looking for the owner's phone number. Did you say that you download the tax records and then you're matching up the phone number for the owner's number somewhere out of the area? And if so, how did you do that? I'm sorry, was it one of these companies that you were using? So what I do is um, I use, and again, any tax records company, whether in New Jersey, there's one called NewJerseyTaxRecords.com. I use taxrecords.com, and you just go in there and you just search in there either by city or by a specific lot and block or a certain neighborhood around it, whatever. It's easy to go in there to, to just um, fill in the fields or whatever that you want. And then you create just an Excel form and then you send it to these companies and say, okay, do me a favor. I need you to search for the secondary address, not the subject one. You need a primary home address, which is typically the secondary address in these records. And then you send the companies and then they do all the research and then they send back to you all the numbers. And then in addition to that, many of these companies will also go out and get their email addresses as well. We've really built a big database, not only email addresses, but also the phone numbers too. That's impressive. I didn't realize they could pull up those email addresses. That must really take some research. And they're doing all the heavy lifting on the research and then you're purchasing that data from them. How accurate does that data appear to be to you? Has it been pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is and it isn't. It depends. I mean, you know, there's services out there now that you can go, for example, on cell phone numbers, right? I was able to get, um, well, there's about 17,000 taxable properties, let's say, in Ocean City. I was able to get 10,000 of those cell phone numbers of the 17,000. But yet of the 10,000, inside of those records, anybody in there that's a relative of the homeowner, could be a, a 
son, a daughter, an uncle, whatever, sometimes each record would have up to six more total cell phones per record. So I actually was able to obtain 40,000 cell phone numbers of the 17,000 homeowners, okay? So, you know, when you're calling, sometimes you might, you know, if you're uploading these in Mojo and you're dialing through them, you may not get the actual homeowner. You might get a relative, which then will confirm what their number is. One of your big ways of getting business is you prospect and you prospect over the phone. I'd like to talk about that for a little bit, about the fact that you're structuring your day in a certain way and you're going for objectives of phone calls. Could you describe that to us? What are you trying to do each day and each week as far as the prospecting over the phone? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, my team's very um, prospecting based and a typical morning is we have an 815 huddle call. So my team and I will get on the huddle call and then we're going to basically state what our goals are. We're going to see where we are within the month. So whatever the goal is for the month, we'll state, okay, well, here's my goal for the month. Here's where I am so far. Here's what I'm committed to today, the number of contacts I'm going to make, the appointments we're going to set, and any of the results that you're willing to declare as far as the goal for the day. Each person on the team will go around and do that. So that'll be 8.15 huddle call. 8.30, the sales team's going to be role-playing, either with role-play partners locally or outside of the area. Each one are required to have five role-play partners minimum. They're going to role-play scripts and practice, you know, uh, their uh, objection handlers, the whole dialogue, scripting from 8.30 to 9. At 9 o'clock, they're all going to be on the phone, prospecting until 12 noon minimum. So three hours a day. Each of them have to have a minimum of 30 contacts. My one ISA, which is a junior agent that will now become an agent, he's making consistently 50 contacts a day right now. And uh, yeah, he's killing it. So that's pretty much what the structure is in the morning. It's, it's very disciplined. Uh, we have a separate off-site office from our market center, our typical real estate office. I have my own private space. It's non-branded, so when you walk in, it looks like a real estate office. The blinds are closed. We don't have any income phone lines at all. It's all stand-up desks, stand-up prospecting stations. Each desk, each countertop there has two phones on it. We have our script book in front of us on the flip chart. You have your objection handlers that are posted on the wall. Music's going. It's an environment that's set up so that when you come in, that's all you're going to do is you're going to get on the phone and prospect with no distraction. It's a good environment. Let's talk about who's making those calls on your team. Is it just the salespeople with the licenses or is it all the people, including the staff? So the admin staff, the three admin staff I have is at the other typical main branded real estate office market center. My sales team, we're separate from that. We go to my own private office. That's where we work from. So we don't really see them much except for our team meetings and so forth over at the other office. So currently right now, I have a listing agent partner. That's David. David's been with me now about a year and a half. It'll be two, actually be two years almost. He came on initially as an ISA and then he became a listing agent, and he's pretty much taken over all listing production of what I've been doing. So I've been out of typical listing production for about six or seven months now. And now he's consistently taking 10 listings a month. You know, he's getting to that range. So his goal next year is 13 listings a month. We have Frank, who's been with me about 14 years. Frank is a, pretty much our lead buyer's agent. He does some listings as well and has good deals. Frank will do about 50 deals or so in that range, 40 to 50 deals every month. His goal next year is 60. And then I have a new agent that just joined me um, about maybe a month ago. So he's on the phone as well. And then I've got two other brand new agents that are starting out as ISAs. One will actually be a full-time ready-to-go agent probably in about a month or so. The other one probably will be about three months or so. 
that's the way the structure of the team looks right now that I have currently. And while we're doing that, let's just finish the structure of the team. Could you tell us about the staff? Sure. So I've got a closing manager, handles all the closing side from contract to close all the way through and tends to closing and everything. Uh, listing manager, from the time the contract's, uh, listing contract is signed all the way through, all the marketing, handle everything there. And then I've got an executive assistant as well for the team and for me. You know, while we're talking about agents, I don't want to forget one of the questions that people ask when they're building these teams, they get a little bogged down on compensation for listing agents and buyer agents. Would you mind disclosing to us what you put together? Well, sure. I can tell you. Ultimately, our buyer's agents, well, it depends how you start out. So typically, all different, different skill level, whatever's going on. If an agent, this is just general, an agent comes on our team right now as a typical agent, brand new out of the gate, they're going to be at a 25% split on any lead that's given to them by the team meaning a company-generated lead, and 50% of they generate on their own. We pay for all the expenses. Once they hit $75,000 in income, then they're going to be bumped from 35% to 55% on that side. However, when you come on my team first, we're requiring you, if you're a new licensed agent, to start as an ISA, Inside Sales Associate, and you're going to stay in that role for maybe three months, six months max to learn the scripts, understand what's going to go on. Your ultimate goal is to be a prospector, lead generator, and set appointments for the other agents on the team. Structure for that is we pay $10 an hour. And keep in mind, it's not about 10 bucks an hour. It's more about the opportunity it leads to. And then we're bonusing the ISAs out at $50 an appointment, $250 in the contract is signed, and $500 in that actual client closes. So they're structured all the way through there. They've got a standards to hit eight, six, and four eight appointments a month, six listings take, if it's a listing side, uh, six contracts under contract and four that actually close. And ultimately, if they do that, making their $1,600 a month, which is 400 hours a week on this 10 bucks an hour for 40 hours, you know, the ISA can make, if they stayed in that role only, they'd be making around 5,000 or so a month in that range. So that's the typical basic structure of that. My listing agent, I have a listing agent partner, he makes uh, right now $3,000 a month a uh, base salary and 10% commission. So that's basically how the structure is. And then keep in mind, it's, and I always mention this too, when it comes to commissions, we talk about compensation. There's nothing right, there's nothing wrong. It all depends on everyone's marketplace. It all depends on average you know, sales price, average commission. Average sales price is just under 400000 right now. It'd be different to be able to pay these splits if your average price is two fifty, right? So... You know, all of my guys on my team do very well. Frank, it's been a long time. He makes 175 to 200 grand a year, every year. He was with me those big years at 3.9 million and made almost 500 grand as a buyer's agent. Think about that. My listing agent partner will make 120 grand this year. He's 26 years old, been in the business basically almost two years. So anyway, that's pretty much the structure. Jeff, let's keep talking about this prospecting on the phone. Let's jump back over there for a second now that we understand the team and we now know who's in this offsite sales call center, which you set up, which is pretty interesting. First of all, who are these people calling? Who are your targets with these calls? Who are you calling up? Calling every lead we've got, ultimately. So they're calling all of our buyer leads that come in from internet leads, internet sources, that are driving into our dashboards and so forth. So they're calling those leads. They're also going to be calling, um, you know, this whole team's going to be calling expired listings, sell by owners, doing just listed, just sold calls, or past clients, centers of influence. So all of those sources is who they're prospecting. Um, now, looking into 2017, my focus for the team and our single-minded focus ultimately to get our 
team ramped up to take 30 listings taken per month. So that's the, the whole single goal. So it's always going to be listings driven, but these guys also are following up with buyer leads as well, you know, to convert. You mentioned Mojo Dialer. Could you describe what Mojo Dialer is and how your team is using it? Yeah, certainly. So I have one of our sources that I use. Um, they'll upload the phone numbers that expires every day or any type of phone list or whatever I want into this dialer. The dialer itself is an auto dialer. We have it set up so it dials three phone lines at one time. You can also do a pre-recorded message. And so that if a voicemail or an answer machine comes on, you press drop message and it'll drop the message into that voicemail. So it's dialing three lines out each time. And so that if caller A uh, answers, it'll still dial the other two. And if the homeowner B answers, it'll ultimately tell them that we're going to call them back. And once you hang up with caller A, then it automatically will ring caller B because they've already put them more or less in a queue. And then it keeps auto-dialing for you so that each time ultimately it creates your efficiency where you're just dialing and there's someone on the phone every time. When you hang up, it's already dialing ready for you. That's really got to amp up the number of calls that you can make in an hour. It does. And a lot of it has to do, too. You want to make sure efficiency is is the list in which you're uploading, the quality of the list too. Do you do anything to prove the quality of the list? You're buying them from these sources. Is there any way to screen them, to clean them up? Do you, For instance, are they coming off the do not call list right away? Is there a way to find out when you have dead numbers in there? Yeah. There's ways to scrub all that from the list that we're getting, you know, the do not call list as well. And then as far as other, your past clients and center of influence, if you're calling through there, these are people you've already done business with. So hopefully your data is good for that. Internet leads that have been called in or inquired, you know, hopefully that you've been able to upload and capture the right phone number. We typically have a pretty good list through there. So some of the folks that are listening pick up on the fact that you're making a lot of calls in a day. I think you said your goal is to make 30 contacts a day. In order to do that, I assume you're going to have to make 100 plus dials. You're going to be there three hours on the phone. It sounds like you're looking for people to be on your team that are comfortable being on the phone. How are you finding those people? Yeah, so, I mean, the minimum standard is 30 contacts a day per agent, so that's what we do. We're very confident about the actual job profile on what we do and how it's done, and then ultimately, if someone comes on our team, we take them through a whole recruiting type of process of uh, letting them know what the job looks like, what's entailed, going through the Keller personality assessment, the KPA test now, or assessment now. And so there's a lot of process to that, and then in addition, before they come on, we have them come in our office and shadow us, Typically for probably one to three days, they sit in and watch and they plug in and white cord into all the calls with me or uh, if I'm making any calls that day or whatever I'm doing. And then the rest of the team, they'll white cord in, listen to the calls, and they'll see the environment, see what they're up to, and then say, hey, at the end of it, if they pass all the way through, ask them, hey, look, is this something you can handle? Is this something you're up for? This is what it is. You're going to be on the phone. You're going to be calling. You're going to be standing up. There's no sitting down. You're going to be talking to people. This is a sales business. You've got to learn the art of speaking to people and closing and setting appointments. You're not going to sell a home by email. At some point, you're going to have to have a conversation. So we're going to teach these agents on how to communicate in the sales world. They get it. They see the environment. And if it's not, it's not for them. Have you ever taken a DISC personality profile test, a DISC? Yes. How do you score out? ID. ID and a high I. A high I ID. I'm 99 on the D. 
And the people that you're bringing in to make these phone calls, how are they scoring out on the disc? Everybody's personality style obviously can be different. They, and it's not prospecting and lead generation over the phone isn't always have to be limited to one style, personality style. Bobby's on my team now. He's a high F and high C. He's analytical and he's actually an accounting background, but yet he understands it and he's a little more methodical what it is, but he's on the phone jamming along the way. Frank, who's been with me a long time, my lead buyer's agent, he's more of a high I and a high S and his drive is a little bit lower, but he works very well with buyers. He does very well, but he prospects all day long. So everyone on the team is, uh, is always going to be generating that way. Do all the team members come together in the offsite office to make those calls each morning? Is that how you're creating some camaraderie there? Yeah, that's our office. They come to that office. That's where they stay. That's where they work out of. We ultimately don't have a big space or anything in our normal office. This is our own private office. And so they meet clients there and they have their working environments there. You said they're all stand-up desks. Not branded, and it's not licensed, so it's not a place we meet clients. You have to meet clients at the actual market center, which is only literally 10 blocks away. And if there was someone listening to us in our conversation and they were nervous about making phone calls, do you have any advice for them on how they could get over that and jump into it? When you're prospecting, you learn over the phone to make phone calls. Some of the reluctance and why agents don't do that is they don't really understand what to say. They haven't um, studied their scripts or learned their scripts or internalized or memorized um, and become very familiar on conversation and, and how the flow should be in that, that skill. And once you learn that, then ultimately you're not afraid to get on the phone Typically, you won't have any call reluctance. Now, when you get on the phone, you know, the easiest thing when you first start out is start calling people you know. That's going to give you a boost of confidence. People aren't going to reject you. And so you call your center of influence and you simply just let them know that you're in the real estate business. Ask them, they may know that wants to buy, sell, or invest or anybody maybe that, that uh, they can refer that you should call and introduce yourself to. So there's part of the scripting there, but call people that you know. And so that's the very first thing you do. But you've got to learn what to say. You've got to learn how to say it. You've got to learn how to mimic, mirror, and match. It's the whole art of prospecting. And once you get that down, your confidence rises and then you're not fearful to call anybody. When you first got started, was there any a mentor or coach that helped you get those scripts down? I coached for a very long time with the Mike Ferry organization. I had one-on-one coaching there and several other coaches um, throughout the year, and I'm currently still being coached. So that's where I originally started out. And uh, they, you know, they had their productivity school and learned scripts from there. And you know, Matthew and Tom Ferry taught me that stuff a long, long time ago. In the early 2000s. Let's do this. Let's take an example. One one of your big areas of business that you're you're generating about 17% of your business is expired listings. Now, in this market, are you seeing a lot of expired listings come onto the market? Or are you having to dig to find them? We still have a very large portion of expires in our market because our market's you know, fairly soft. And typical markets right now, you know, wherever we're calling within, there may be as low as three percent of the market selling a month. And probably the highest is around 15% of the market selling per month. So depending on where you're calling, there's still an enormous amount of expireds. And are you just making phone calls to the expireds or are you also sending out mail and email? We do a lot of email marketing to them. 
we have different campaigns set up for pretty much every different source of business we have. You know, part of what we do is, especially with expires, if we're having a conversation with an expired, is we're going to obtain their email address, put them on our system, communicate to them with some good um, educational-based information through the expires and follow-up. And, uh, you know, we have triggers in there letting us know when you know, these expires are raising their hand or not. So we got different systems for that. So we do a lot of email as well. For the email, could you give us an example of email that you would send out that's educational-based for the expired? Yeah, certainly. So the expires themselves, once we get them, we're going to adopt them into our database and communicate with them just like any other potential seller. So they're going to get, in a typical month anyway, a market report, and it's going to show you all those market statistics we talked about before. They're going to be also in my database. They're going to get two blog videos a month that's educational-based um, about whatever the topic may be. Like right now, it could be about the 11 reasons why to get your home on the market now and sell during the holidays, something like that. And then ultimately, if they're going to be in my fired campaign, where that is, we send out eight different emails over the first 18 days. You know, that's going to be uh, basically a lot of social proof that there's other properties that have been previously on the market like theirs that failed to sell. And then we got them listed and then we sold them. So we do a lot of that. And then just, you know, informational-based stuff about what we do, our marketing plan, how we position properties, that kind of thing. Now, you mentioned two blog videos. Are you putting those together yourself or using a company to do that? I use Get Viral Marketing. So they do all that for me. They've been doing that for me for a long time. Let's now talk about, in the expireds, the phone scripts that you're using. Uh, could you tell us kind of how that looks? What happens when you first get that expired? What you're going to call up and say to them in that first initial script? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a Mike Ferry script that we use. And it's going to be a script that's going to basically tell them that their property came off the market. Are they planning to interview another agent? We're going to go through the script to find out what their motivation is. Ask them how they picked the last agent. What was important about that? We're going to find out if they were to list again, what would they expect from the next agent they choose? See if they've gone ahead and chosen any other agents. We're going to go through a couple of lists of different questions. Um, you know, and again, it's simply in a conversational-based um, script. And then ultimately, to get to the desired result, that would be setting the appointment. Now, when we're doing it over the phone, um, the appointment itself, a lot of times, is going to be okay, so I'm going to do some research and we're going to get their email address, do a market analysis, get back to them, share with them what we think we can do to get the property sold, send the marketing plan, and then call back to follow up to go over the market analysis and then get them to sign the agreement by email. Right, because everything is happening online. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Correct. What percentage of the expireds end up setting that appointment on the very first call? It's hard to say as a team, as far as all of that, what percentage that would be. Maybe 10, 20%, maybe if we had 10 of them that we talked to in that range. See, a major portion of our expired business isn't so much the new expireds. We do more of the expired business in the older expireds. Or it may also be the expired that we talked to six months ago, and they went back with another agent or the same agent or whatever, and then they didn't get the job done. And then we show up again, and boom, we get them. We have a lot of success in that. We also have a lot of success in calling older buyers that may have been 24 months ago that haven't relisted or haven't come back on. I assume you're also picking up current expired listings. I'm just trying to get an idea for people like 
if you got a hundred of them in your system, how many of those hundred would end up turning into a listing for you within, say, the next 30 days? I'm going to say that if we're averaging right now 15 listings taken a month, let's just say, that probably five of those or six of those are going to be expired, whether they're new or old combined in that range. Okay. And how many expireds do you currently have in your expired database? As far as how many we've put in there that were expired before and haven't relisted? Yeah. How many expireds are you currently working? You said you're listing about five a month. How many are you working? We're probably working between, all right, my listing agent partner and the whole team. I would say at any time, what we have in our team is what we call our seven-day lead file. Someone that's going to do business and get a contract signed within the next seven days, right? And then after that, it's like, okay, everyone else is just follow-up. So we have our really hyper-focused, who's going to do something now list. And I would say out of that list, there's probably 20 different people that as a team that they're working right now, they're getting listed. So maybe you've got 20 hot expireds and you work real hard. And the result is you end up with about five brand new listings each month. Exactly. So about one in four, if you really work it hard and you've qualified them to find out they're pretty motivated. Correct. That seems about right. How do you collect the expired information to get this whole process started? Are you going into your MLS and doing it yourself manually or one of your team members? Or are you buying it from a service like Red X or Vulcan 7 or one of those? I've done Vulcan 7. I've had Red X. I'm not using those services anymore. And again, one of the reasons why is when they're doing their searches the way they do theirs, they're not picking up the secondary homeowner and homeowner's information where I need to call them. They're set up for primary home markets, really. It's a little bit different, a little more difficult. So I have a virtual assistant in the Philippines that does all of our expires every day. So when we wake up by 8 o'clock in the morning, our time, all the expires, all the information, the phone numbers... The, uh, they go in our database, we already have them in our database, the MLS brochure, the tax records, all the information that we need to call is all in our inbox, all emailed to us. So I've outsourced it over to Virtual Assistant in the Philippines, which is $3.40 per hour. They're virtually working when we're sleeping. Okay, so they're pulling out right out of your MLS the most recent expireds, and then they're doing the research to find out all the information you need. You mentioned you go into the tax record, pull up the tax record, attach that. And then how are they going in to collect or find out what the phone number is and or email address? They're going in the sources of the Intellius and Tokyo and uh, peoplefinders.com. And then also what you got to keep in mind is, remember I told you earlier that I can go into marketplaces and pick up all the cell phones and all the email addresses? Yes. I'm able to do that and put them in my own database. So then she'll research our own database that we already have them in there a lot of times because we already went out and got them. And you got to keep in mind also that, you know, I've been, been in the business a long time. I've really concentrated time in my team itself is building our database, pounding that we get and collect email addresses and information. So we are continuing all the time putting people in we have a lot of it, and we've been in the market for a long time. So as you do that, you build it, you get all the information of all the owners. I'll give you one other thing, too, just for the listeners. 
to keep something in mind. So, you know, not so much in our marketplace, but it applies to a lot of markets. A lot of markets will have, you know, gated communities, right? They'll have high-rise or mid-rise type of condominiums. Many of them will have their own homeowner's directories. So there might be a subdivision of 100 homes in a certain gated community. Well, if you take a listing in there, that gated community, sometimes that homeowner will have the homeowner's directory of everyone in that community, name, phone number, email address, the whole thing. So, and if you get a, a unit in a high-rise condo and there's 100 units in a high-rise condo, well, that association will have typically a condo directory. Sometimes they have their own website with a login with all the information in there. So it's just a good thing that if you're doing this, keep in mind, that is a database you've got to get especially if you've got listings already in these areas. So you ask your seller of that listing for this information, and how do you phrase it so that they feel comfortable giving you that? Are you offering to market to those people that their listing is available now? Well, I'll say, hey, Mr. Seller, um, it's very common that another unit owner in your building or in your neighborhood or wherever will have a friend, relative, or someone that will know that would like to move in here especially this time of year during holiday season, family's going to be all gathering around, talking real estate. So I've misplaced, sometimes I'll have it or whatever. Or miss it. I, I've misplaced our condo directory for your building. Do you mind if I borrow it? Because I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and call every single homeowner in here. And then we're going to email blast a flyer and we're going to ask them to post it on their Facebook page and all their social media. We're going to also ask them to forward it to anybody they know. So all of a sudden, you might have 100 homeowners that will actually exponentially get you a 1,000 different people looking at it because each one of them is able to forward it out. Let me borrow your uh, directory. I'll make a copy and I'll give it right back to you. Some homeowners say, yeah, 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 no problem. Some of them say, oh, I can't do that, you know, because they don't want to do it. Whatever it is. But if you don't ask, you don't get them, right? And then the next thing is I can just go ahead and in that homeowner association or condo association or subdivision, again, I can pull in all the addresses, send them to my people, Search here, give me all the phone numbers, email addresses for everybody in here anyway. I get, we have the ability to go do that and then do an email blast to all them and call them anyway. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. That's a great tidbit, great piece of advice. Thank you. Let's finish up expired listings. I just have one final question. If there's an agent listening, they're thinking about working expireds, what's the best piece of advice you could give them with working with expireds and making it a successful campaign? Be the first one to call them. You have a much higher success rate if you're the first agent to call the expired. So you got to get up early and you got to be prepared and you got to call. And then understand that it's a longer term game that, you know, in our marketplace, at least the expired may not relist right away or they may already have relisted again with the same agent or whatever it may be. But you got to continue to build that database. You got to continue to have conversations with the expires because you may not get them now, but you may get them four or five months later and you've got to follow up like crazy. I mean, 70% of our business comes from follow-up, lead follow-up. 30% is initial, but all the rest of it comes from follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. 
Jeff, let's do this. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about another area of your business or lead source, and that is past clients, sphere of influence, repeat and referrals. It accounts for about 52% of your business, just over half. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Past clients and influence of people that we've actually done business with and then sent them influence of people that we know, they know us kind of thing. There's probably about 4,000 or so that's going to be there in, in all of that, roughly. It's a pretty large group. But then we also have a whole other big database of, you know, homeowners in the marketplace, everybody else mixed in. There's a lot of other people in there, buyers that have inquired over the years. We've got over, you know, 12,000 or 15,000 maybe at this point, buyers that are in our database. You know, it's a very large database right now. You have a separate database for all these leads and all the people on the island that you could find, you mentioned, the homeowners, and you say that's probably around 15,000, but then you've got this separate database or part of that database that's for past clients and sphere of influence, the 4,000. Let's talk about that group. Is there a way that you could kind of estimate or break out the 4,000 and how many of those are past clients versus how many are sphere of influence or centers of influence? I don't have it in front of me, but I would say there's probably a thousand of center of influence and say the 3000 would be, would be more of the past clients uh, that are in there. And, but yet the challenge is that what we have is, is our past clients. If they listed their home with us and they cashed out of the property, many of them are the secondary homeowners. They cashed out. And they're not coming back. They're now back at their primary home. They've moved on, whatever they're doing. So they're still in the database, but they're not as a, as, as a uh, great of a source as the past clients or current clients that have bought and are still owning here. So of that group, there's probably 2,000 that actually own here in there. Uh, 1,500, maybe 2,000. The rest of them are ones that we did business with that we don't, they're not really doing much more locally or in our area. It sounds like you still stay in touch with those people that are out of your area and no longer own in the area, but they were your past clients. Is that true? We stay in touch with them through our blogs, our video blogs, email marketing with the drip campaigns there. Those specific clients, we have them rated in our system as a B client, B as in boy, and our B clients are in a call rotation to get called every six months. And that's simply just letting them know that we're still in the real estate business. If they have anybody they know that may still live here, you know, back in the resort area, anybody they know at home that may be looking looking to come down to buy, kind of just a touch base. The rest of the database is broken down between our top VIP clients, our A clients, and our double A clients, we call them. And then they're just rotated through by calls. Our VIP clients are called every 30 days. And then also inside that, if they own a home over a million bucks, they're called every 30 days. Our A clients every 60 days. Double A clients every uh, 90 days, about once a quarter. So kind of break it down. And we rate them basically on... The VIP client, someone that we, you know, obviously they love us, they trust us, we like them, they, you know, they'll do business with us, we can count on them for referral, and that's who we call once a month. The next ones that we call every 60 days, they like us, trust us, we like them, but yet maybe we're not going to get a referral from them all the time. And then double A is someone that count on as well. They're good. Um, they're probably not as good as the other two. And then the Bs, like I said, are the ones we're going to call every six months. We don't get much out of that. Now, that VIP group, how big is it? How many people are in there? About 156 right now, I think it is. That's the check. That's a pretty exclusive group. You said they're people that not only 
no love and trust you, but you think there's a high probability they are going to send you a referral or already have? There's a good probability they will, um, and or they're going to use this again, and or they're someone who's of good influence um, that can get us other business or connectors. So it's a pretty good group. Okay. And then this uh, A client, how many people do you think are in the A client group? Yeah, probably five, 600 in that range. Great. And then the rest are going into the AA and B group. I like how you've graded them and brought them up. I, I think that's pretty smart. Before I go into those details, one other quick question. Where are you keeping all these people? Is there a database that you're maintaining them in? Software? Yeah, so we keep everybody in Top Producer as far as a glorified address book. And that's where the call rotations come out of as well um, each day. And then also we have Infusionsoft, and everyone goes to Infusionsoft as well for their um, for all the email drip campaigns. So everybody goes in there also. Those are the two databases primarily. Let's talk about how you're staying in touch with these past clients and centers of influence. You've mentioned the groups. You've mentioned phone calls. Is there anything else that you're doing to stay in front of these folks? So a lot of emails that go out, video blogs that we do, you know, that way. We're phone calling them. From time to time, we'll do a voice broadcast to them as well. And that's pretty much how we're staying in touch. The video blogs, you mentioned those were twice a month. Uh, those were done through viral marketing. Uh, so we've got a pretty good idea what that is. The emails, how often are you sending them out and what's inside them? If they're a past client center of influence email, typically that's going to be once a month is what they're going to be getting. Again, touching base on the market, understanding what the market's doing. Um, there's also going to be videos that will be also embedded in these emails and PDFs as well. And, you know, what we've been able to do through Infusionsoft is build out these campaigns and ultimately allows us to, and this is all the campaigns, be able to understand and study the click patterns of what they're doing. So in other words, if someone's in a campaign, we can set it up where, let's say that there's, there's email A, B, C, and D. Well, if a client comes in and they click on and they open email A, we can see they open the email A. If they go to email B and inside email B, there might be a PDF that drives them to a, a flyer or something and or a video. Well, we can see that if they clicked on the PDF and then watched the video. And then if they do email C, they open that up, and let's say they do email D, and they open that up and they watch a video on that one. And all of a sudden, what we've got set up is now a notification is sent based upon the click pattern that says this client's done A, B, C, and D, and based upon their engagement of the content that which we were sending them, sends our sales guys a notification says, hey, Mr. Jones has already done four of the 18 possible clicks in this campaign. It makes them a possible buyer, possible seller. You want to call them. It allows them basically to raise their hand based upon what they're doing. And then it sends us a note. We go out and call them at that time. Hopefully that either they're just messing around or they're, they're looking at everything and they're cool with it, or they're actually engaged in it and we can convert because what they're doing. And we get to see it all. So you're tracking how engaged they are with your system. If they're highly engaged, you want to get on the phone and talk to them. Correct. 
And the big picture, just the general marketing structure, the plan, you've mentioned emails, video blogs, and calls. You've mentioned how often you want to call each group. How do those conversations go? If you're going to call your VIPs, for instance, once a month, that's 12 times a year, what's happening in those conversations? Are you just asking for a referral every time you call? What's happening? It all depends, you know, so time of year we're going to call and, and obviously tell them we're still in the real estate business, which they already know. And then we're going to wish them happy holidays and, and whatever's going on right now, maybe what's going on in the marketplace, we'll tell them about that. We're always going to plant the seed that, you know, especially this time of year during the holiday season, you're going to be around a lot of family and friends. Real estate may come up and just here to remind you, if there's anybody you think I should reach out to to help in any way, would you let me know? Yeah, of course. I'll send you a referral. I might have somebody or whatever. And then just with some happy holidays, it can be very light. It's very conversational, you know? And then if you're calling them at 150 or whatever, you might go into it and say, hey, I just want to give you a call that your neighbor's home over here, 123 Banana Street down the street, just sold. It sold for a million one. They got a great number. Just would like to know, keep you updated in the marketplace. Here's what's going on. And uh, did you know about it? No? Okay, cool. All right. Well, if you know of anybody right now that's looking to make a move, we got other buyers lined up. We always appreciate your referrals. Let us know if we can help. So that's a pretty easy, simple conversation. You've scripted to that. You've done it a zillion times. You're very comfortable with it. And I assume you're going to get a lot of voicemails when you're calling up. Is that true? Of course. Yep. You're using Mojo, so it'll drop the voicemail in there so you can go to the next call. You just you pre-designed the voicemail to drop. Yeah, and the voicemail, a lot of times with that, I mean, it might just be, hey, this is Jeff, or whatever team member's calling. We're just calling to touch base. Um, let you know, obviously, we're still here in the real estate business, checking in. Market's really good. If you have any questions, concerns, anything at all, call me. If it's this time of year, it might be, look, just want to make sure that you've winterized your property if you're not here. If they, make sure the heat's up. Whatever you need, don't hesitate to call me. I'm your resource. If you need to stop by, you know, to check on the heat or raise it, or if you need a plumber to winterize your outside water, let us know. We're here for you if you need anything. It's just kind of like, you know, very service-oriented, resourceful in that way. So we give them that kind of thing. And as a byproduct, then you're going to get the referrals. You know, you're going to get that. You do recommend that people leave voicemails uh, if they don't get a hold of the their client or past client or the person on the phone. They don't get a hold of them on the phone. You do recommend leaving a voicemail. Yeah, of course. My past clients and center of influence, yeah, I do all the time. I have to train them. I got to absolutely train my database to send us referrals. And I got to train them in such a way that they don't just mention my name to somebody and give my card or number out to someone. I got to train them for them to call me. And then for me... Then they give me the contact, then I call them. Then we can make sure 100% they get in touch with us. So you want to walk them through that several times. You said training, so you're repeating that concept over and over again, not just to hand out your name and number, but to turn around and call you so you can contact the referred. Yeah, we're going to tell the past client, hey, listen, anytime you hear of someone that's a buy, sell, invest, can I count on you, call me, and give me that person's name and number so I can make the introduction. Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, no problem. And I'll tell them straight. Don't just give my number out because then next day when and the next thing I find out two months later when I call you, they they bought or whatever, sold through somebody else or whatever. But if you can do me a favor, make sure you call me and give me an info, then I'll call them. They'll get the best, highest amount of service. You know that. 
And I notice you're using the affirmative close. You're saying, can I count on you to call me? You're expecting them to say yes, so they're involved. They're committed. Correct. Also, part of that conversation is, again, the level of the client, depending on who it is, the rapport you have, the VIP client, you know, when you're calling them on a monthly basis or whatever it may be, sometimes they're going to see it. You call it a call ID or whatever, answer the phone and say, hey, Jeff, yep, I don't have anybody for you right now. I, I know, though, if I have anybody, I'll call you. And a lot of times that's what happens. I ain't got nobody right now. And now I'm just going to say, cool, I'm just checking. Make sure. You have a little fun with it. You keep it light. Yeah, who do you got? Well, Jeff, you also mentioned uh, you're doing voice broadcast. What is that and how are you using it? So voice broadcast is uh, it's like slide dial. If someone knows what slide dial is, you can load up phone numbers of your database, whatever group, and then you could record a message and then send that message out so it drops into voicemails. And so we do that as well. So if we're going to call our past client, like if I want to do a, a, you know, to all thousands of people in my database and wish them happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, whatever, I can load them off in there and just say, hey, this is Jeff down the shore thinking of you right now this time of year. From our family to yours, we're wishing you happy holidays. If there's anything you need, give us a shout. Here's our number. And I can blast that message out to as many people as I want. Thousands, and it'll drop right into their voicemails. To wrap up this section on past clients and centers of influence, do you do anything else? Do you do any, say, past client parties, events, anything else you're doing to stay in front of them? Or have we covered everything? Pretty much covered everything. I've done them in the past. I have done the client appreciation type parties before. I am not doing it now. I should be. I don't do it as often or haven't really done them in a while. Uh, Again, the resort market, it's getting everybody here to a destination um, when they're all going to be here, you know, that sometimes not everybody's in the resort at the same time kind of thing. That's the primary group. I mean, I could do it with the rest of the clients, um, but I haven't, haven't done it, you know, recently. Are you profitable? I'm very profitable. I'm very, I'm very profitable driven. That's one of the things, and you'll notice that where our business model is, we're not heavily marketing based with regards to spending a ton of money. We're prospecting based, so it's based upon us on the phone, prospecting, generating, learning to go out and hunt. So I haven't always had a very large overhead on a monthly basis in all of it. You know what I mean? So, so we've always maintained a very good profit margin. Would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is? Typically, we've been about 50 to 52% uh, on average. Sometimes we've been more closer, depending on the year. Remember, when I had a small team, and I was primarily in production as well, then we were gotten up to 60%, 65% sometimes. Remember those big years? Our numbers were off the chart because we had only, remember, it was only three salespeople and three admin, and you have $3.9 million in GCI. That's it's incredible when you look at those numbers. So those numbers are really big and percentage-wise those years. Now that, you know, ultimately I'm uh, pulling myself out of the production side, especially on the listing side. Now I've got a listing specialist going to take that over. But when you have a smaller team, when the rainmaker is primarily one of the main sources, you're always going to be a higher profit margin because a major portion of the profit is still coming from that rainmaker, right? Business model and everything I'm building out is always going to have and maintain 50, maybe 52% as far as net profit after paying out cost of sales. 
So Jeff, let me ask you this real quick. You've moved yourself out of production over the last six months. What is your objective? How far do you want to move yourself out? Are you trying to create a team that runs completely without you? I wouldn't say it's completely without me. I just, I want to build a team, putting the right talent in place. I've, I've really become very clear and focused on building the business in more of an owner position than an operator and expanding as well and putting the systems and the people in place to get this to a whole nother level. It's a challenge to being the player and the coach at the same time. It's a tough one. You know what I mean? What I've noticed is, you know, I've been in the business a while and I have a, an enormous amount of, I'm not speaking egotistically, I'm just saying in general, but I've been exposed and I have a lot of intellectual um, knowledge and uh, I'm depriving that knowledge to my team members by not being as focused as I need to be and hiring the right ones and help training the existing ones to get them to perform at a higher level. When I'm still in production and still focused and my time spent there, I'm taking away from being able to help grow them and get them to a higher level. Beyond, I need to pour what I've got in my head into them. And when I'm focused on producing, it's taking away from me to be able to help them grow. So that's my new focus right now. And that's been more of a more recent switch since I came to KW because the company I was with before was very limited and there's too many restrictions and guidelines for me to be able to really grow a team. Um, and frankly, I'll be honest with you, I've been doing it a long time. You know what I mean? So it's a new challenge. I believe that with me being where I've been, I've stunned the growth of it because we've been in a very constant 165, 170, 180 deals a year for a very long time. I mean, for a long time. And ultimately, it's just our marketplace, too. It's hard to get past 10% market share. We've got, you know, companies don't have that. We're like number three as a team versus the 23 companies. You know what I mean? As a team, we do more than companies that have 75 agents in a small market. You know what I mean? I know they can grow this if I can allow my creative side to uh, spend more time there. And I've seen it already this year in a small period of time. There are other people listening who have been right in that production. They're really good at it. They enjoy it. And they're maybe even control freaks, if you will. They like to control their environment, what's going on. And they see it as a big challenge to let go of some of that and step back as you've done and to become, as you mentioned, the coach rather than the player. Uh, how did you mentally get beyond not being out there in the field every day, making things happen? I'm still out there. I'm still here. I'm still connected and seeing what's going on. I'm just working on the business way more than ever versus in it and putting things in place to help everyone grow, doing things that are more meaningful to bring back to get more production. You got to make a conscious decision on where you want to go. I mean, you've got to get the right people in place, the right hires. And once you see that and you train them up the right way, you can let it go and you can see, okay, wow, this person's pretty good. And yeah, you can still work with them. You're going to continue to do that. Once you start to see it, then it becomes a little bit easier, but you got to trust it as well. you got to have systems in place, too, that you put some time into that. I mean, when David is my listing partner now, came on the team in the first, gosh, first six months, nine months, he was first he was at ISA for six months, and then the following, like, say, six months or so, he was at my side on 150-some appointments together, listing appointments. We went over and over and over. And, uh, and scripting, and he was next to me, and now he's off and running. You know, I mean, he's, he's, 
he's good. He's taking 10 listings a month. We're still next to each other every day. What's going on? How's it going? What's next? What's going on with this? How do you do that? You know what I mean? I'm always coaching him up on it. How can we get you now next year? The goal is 13 listings a month. Got to trust it. In your big picture and long-term view, do you see yourself developing a seventh-level team, a team that's operating by itself? Yeah. The team itself is operating right now on a, at a pretty strong level. And yet I'm still going to be involved in the business itself, I believe, as far as helping it grow because of what I want to do. My expansion, you know, locations and so forth and building my your chart. So my goal for 2020 is 525 transactions. Yeah, it's building out the team, which ultimately that team would look about 23 total people on the team. My sole focus this year is twofold is one, get the team to 30 listings taken a month minimum. And that's without me being involved in taking any of them. And secondly, to make the right hires to the org chart I have for the future. 500 transactions in 2020, that's only a few years away. Are you planning on doing that by taking even more market share there on the island, or are you going to have to expand into the mainland to make that happen? It's going to be both. It's going to be a combination of going deeper into where I am and wider. And then it's also going to come into play with even further expansion. So remember I mentioned to you about how my market here is a secondary home market primarily? Well, all of the homeowners that own here live typically in Philadelphia or the suburbs, which is about 60 to 75 miles away. So the next is setting up three different expansion agent partners in the Philadelphia area and suburbs. One in Cherry Hill, one in Bryn Mawr, which is the main line area outside of Philly and then downtown Center City. And so that now I'm able to market to the primary homeowner because now I have an office and team set up there and they've already trusted me to sell their second home. Now it's time for me to go ahead and have them trust me to sell their primary home. I've got a natural overflow of leads and a database that's already trusted with us. So that's the next spot for me to grow is to be able to take the client I have and get the business from them on their primary home as well. That's genius. I like that. I was curious about that earlier, but I was worried that they would be spread all over the area or all over the state or the country even. But you're saying that you've done your research and the majority of them are coming out of Philadelphia. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to just go right over there and, and start marketing to them on their primary homes. I, I think that's a great plan. I think you got a good uh, chance of making that work. Yeah, and just take the same systems with the database and the expires and the IA team and duplicate the same process. You just do it in network, you know? And that's how we're going to do it. And we're going to have a specific agent that's from the area. So anybody listening to this, you know, this podcast or this interview um, that's looking to expand or go, that lives in those areas, where the Quinton Group is going to be expanding in those areas and we're going to set up, you know, all the systems in place to drive business to this person, this agent, and have them go out and represent all the clients we already have. So it'll be interesting. But again, like it's interesting because see, when I'm in production and doing and going on two, three listings a day or whatever I'm doing, you know, I don't have the time to spend on building the company. There's a difference. So now this is what I'm up to. This is what I want to build. And that's how I get us to 525 transactions or more. Well, Jeff, what drives you? Well, financially driven. I'm uh, driven by not having the type of 
childhood where I came from as far as financial. And not that my parents and all were in poverty or like that, but they struggled from time to time as a kid. They had good years and bad years. Dad was self-employed. Then he worked for his father and so forth. And ultimately, I just want to build wealth for my family and be able to have a lot of freedom and security there. You know, I'm driven to not to have to do what my parents had to do. I'm a direct reaction to that. Jeff, why have you been so successful? You know, it's a challenge. I've failed a lot along the way. I've, I've failed forward in a lot of ways, taken a lot of risks. I think that's part of being best. I would say very consistent. So the consistency of the activities that I've done, my team does, has made us successful. That's one of the, if you ask me, okay, what's the one word adjective that would describe? It's going to be consistency. It's also going to be that we're competitive. There's definitely a spirit of competitive nature that I have um, that's allowed me to be a success. But, you know, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of failures along the way. We failed forward on a lot of things. You know, it's just keep getting up every day. And in addition to that, I guess to add on to it, it's very coachable. And I've also been able to be exposed around people that have done a lot bigger things than I have and gone outside of the box and gone outside of my industry and even in my industry and surrounded myself with, with a lot of people doing a lot of things uh, bigger than me. So all those things, I guess, combined, maybe, this caused the success, I guess. Jeff, if you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Recently, as I was going to the airport in an Uber car, and another top agent, Billy and I were in the, in the back, and the Uber driver was a new licensed agent, and he had to drive an Uber car, right? But he's brand new. And he asked the question, he goes, as a new agent, what do you guys recommend? And I was in, in the car as an agent that does five, 600 deals a year. And uh, it was interesting because he and I both had the same perspective. He said, you know, if I was brand new today, I would go work on a top agent team because you can accelerate your learning curve. Not only can you learn the business from people that have already done it over and over again, their systems, you can successfully use clues, so it allows you to go see how to be successful. You can have people that are, depending on the team's value proposition, one, they can provide leads, two, they can provide the training, the coaching, all the back-end support, everything. And then while you're there, if you have room to grow and there's a, there's a vision and there's a purpose and, uh, and you can see that you, know, you can grow within this, stay there. If there's nothing there for in the future after you get things up and running, then certainly leave and do whatever you want to do. So, you know, starting on a team is something I would recommend. I'm seeing too many agents today, brand new in the business, have no idea where to start, what to do. Companies in which they work for, there's no training. They say there's the phone, there's the desk, here you go. And they're out within 12 months. Too much of that. It's different than what it was when I started. When I started, there was walk-ins. There was floor time. There was sign calls. There was, you could put an ad in the paper and someone would actually call you. All that's gone, right? Everything today, especially if you're a listing agent, all the inquiries are driven directly back to the listing agent. It bypasses the office completely with your own you know, sign writers and your own specific numbers on signs and internet leads. It's all driven to the listing agent. You know, Being able to get leads and survive as a brand new agent, it's tough unless you have the money to spend and you have the skills to know how to go out and create listings and a huge database, which most agents, they don't have any of that. Go on a team, typically they can support all that for you and can jumpstart your production and get you in a, in a place to make money quickly. And that's, I think, the, what you got to do. 
Well, Jeff, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I listen to interviews and podcasts probably every single day of some sort. Well, Jeff, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, I think that uh, you covered a lot. I mean, we went pretty deep on some things and pulled back the curtain a lot. I would just say that, you know, you've got three things, I guess. One is, you know, what we look for is understanding you've got to be coachable in this business. You have to be someone who is structured. And then I guess lastly, you got to be, um, you know, willing to work hard. You know, that's the whole thing. It's not going to come to you. You got to be willing to go out there and find the business and learn how to do that. That's what I'm seeing right now. Well, Jeff, you've proven you're willing to work hard and learn the skills to find the business. Your team's focus on telephone prospecting has paid off in a consistent flow of business, low overhead, and high profit margins. You've proven that you can succeed in a unique second home resort market by adapting your methods and building a database of contact information for absentee owners, including rare phone numbers and email addresses. Based on your past success, your goal of 525 transactions in 2020 sounds rational and achievable. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 202 homes last year by specializing in college student housing. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.